0: creation ministry sermon podcast forgiveness is our god-given responsibility that god wants us to embrace as our
1: god-given nature this week we take a look at how we overcome offense through the power of forgiveness
0: father we thank you for who you are we thank you for this time that we have together with you and with each other And Father, we pray that you would just block out all distractions from our minds and our hearts so that we can clearly hear from you. Give us eyes to see you. Give us ears to hear you. Give us the grace to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. How's everybody? Good, good. Walk down the hallway, there's a smell of some good food there. Uh, they said, don't leave. We got plenty of food for everybody. So please, they saying, don't leave without getting some food. They got plenty of food for everyone. Someone told me before worship they were distracted by the pancakes. <laughs> and they had trouble focusing. Um, hey, please sign up for small groups. If, again, if you're willing to host one, maybe, maybe you don't want to lead it, but you're willing to host, we can still use, like I said, for this first time around, all you got to do is be able to hit play. And we'll, so we're going to show a video. We're going to have, and then we'll have books to go along with it. The um, the entire church is going to be going through the bait of Satan, and the entire church is going to be going dealing with how to deal, work, going through how to deal with the spirit of offense. And we're going to do it no matter. All the groups are going to be doing it. So if you if you're in the men's group, women's group, every group is going to be doing it for that period of time because we want the whole church to go through um, the spirit of offense because imagine if we have a whole church of forgivers and everybody in the church is more of like has a heart of forgiveness towards one another how powerful can that church be the bible says they'll know we're Christians by our love for one another and so that's just crucial so everywhere's going forward so if you're like I don't want this I'm going to sign up for this one over here you know it's still going to be the same thing so because we think it's important for everybody to go through that and so last week we talked about walking out the discipline of forgiveness we did part 1 so this week, we're going to do walking out the discipline of forgiveness part two. And, and before we jump in, how much know, again, how, how many of us did the 40-day fast? Give it up. You made it, right? Praise the Lord. And the goal is that we were focusing on putting some disciplines in our life. And I want to encourage you, make sure you don't run back to those things that you gave up. Because you'll find they'll take more than they, than you gave up. I was saying, I know in my battles sometimes with weight loss, I, I can go, I can put a, ten. It takes me like months to lose ten pounds, and it takes me like a week to get them back. And so, be careful. Like I said, make sure you put your disciplines in place. And forgiveness is a discipline. It is a discipline. We have to train ourselves to be forgivers. Matthew eighteen twenty-one to thirty-five.
1: Then Peter came and said to him, Lord. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him, up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt.
0: Stop there for a moment. This slave owed the master the equivalent of 60 million days of work. You would have to work 60 million days in order to repay 10,000 talents. So keep that perspective.
1: But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe.
0: Stop for a moment. Now this guy owed that same servant 100 days labor. So he owed, this guy just was forgiven 60 million days of labor. This guy owes him 100 days of labor. Go back, now keep on.
1: So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened... They were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart.
0: That last verse is very powerful. If you have your Bible, you want to highlight that. You want to highlight that in your mind. He says, Father in heaven will also do the same to you that he just did to this gentleman. If each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Who is Jesus talking to? the disciples asked him the question and he's addressing the disciples and it's, it's nowhere around it. He's threatens. It sounds like he's threatening the disciples such my father will do to each of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, come on. What if everybody took forgiveness that serious? I mean, think about this verse. This is what I call one of those fear of the Lord type verses. And I think the fear of the Lord is just lacking and missing, especially in the area of forgiveness. We know that we need to forgive, but we won't in certain areas. And again, look look at this story. This guy owed 60 million days of labor. And he goes to the master and says, be patient with me and I will pay you back. 60 million days. It was impossible for him to repay that debt. And the master forgave that debt. Do you know the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin? Who can afford to pay it? So there we owe a debt that could not be paid. We can say, God, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. We cannot afford to pay it. So God, at his own expense through Jesus Christ, paid the fine for you and forgave you that debt. This man, after being forgiven that great debt, goes out and finds someone who owed him 100 days of labor. You can knock that out in a year. And the man asks, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And instead of being patient, he threw him into prison. And that's what we do. We find someone who owes us less than we owe God. There is no one who has wronged you worse than you've wronged God. Most time we do wrong to people that's behind their back. We wrong God to his face. You'll be sexually immoral in his face and say, I don't care what you see. You're going to forgive me, right? Like, we will lie in his face. We'll badmouth his children in his face. We'll mistreat people in his face. And then we won't forgive other people. Come on, where would you be without God's forgiveness? Who in the room can afford to not have their sins forgiven anymore? What he says here is when you find someone who owes you less Then you owe God and you won't be willing to forgive them. Look what happened in that parable. He restored the man's debt. That's what the scripture said. He restored his debt all 60 million days and he says he put him in prison until he could pay it off. He couldn't pay it when he wasn't in prison. How is he going to pay off 60 million? That's a death sentence. What if God says, if we don't forgive, he'll restore our debt and say, now you pay it. So I don't think we take forgiveness that seriously. And when you read scriptures like this, I I, I always say, well, why is Jesus threatening his disciples? Right? And I want you to understand because a true disciple hears this teaching, they won't feel threatened They'll feel enlightened. Look at Proverbs 9, 8 through 10.
1: Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding.
0: Man, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So again, a scoffer would be like, oh, uh, forgiveness makes no sense to a non-believer. Right? If if you're not following Jesus, forgiveness makes no sense. Payback makes sense. Right? Did it to me? I'm going to treat you the way you treated me. That makes total sense without Jesus. Right? Right? But now when he comes in, he, he says, well, the fear of the Lord, let me give you some wisdom. He's not, he, and, and this is crazy. He's not really coming at them and threatening them because they're sexually immoral. He's not threatening them about lying or stealing or being a murderer. He says unforgiveness. He's teaching them about the power of the, the blessing forgiveness can be and the curse unforgiveness can be. When you are in unforgiveness, you're actually putting yourself under a curse. Right? And and here's the thing, y'all. In the church world, we can debate many things. People are separated over a lot of different things. But the one thing that cannot be debated is that unforgiveness can cost a person their soul. No one can debate that. Unforgiveness can cost a person their soul, and I don't know if the church world takes that as serious as Jesus is. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about positional forgiveness, right? Where it's just I got to make sure when I've been wrong that I get my heart right with God. It's not even about the other person, right? Then last week we talked about Jesus' plan for conflict resolution. If I'm a follower of Christ and I have a conflict, then I need to follow Jesus' plan for conflict resolution. Not about how I feel. I got to follow the plan. This week, we're going focus to focus on ministering the blessing of forgiveness. I mean, And then, like, what words do we, of forgiveness do we speak to the offender? The mindset we should have when it comes to offenses. So let's start with this, y'all. It's a teaching week for us. God is postured to forgive you. He's positioned and postured to bless you. Do you know that that is not going anywhere? God's God's desire to bless you is not going anywhere. His desire to bless you is not going anywhere. Why does God love you? Because he wants to. People always come with all these things. Oh, he loves us because he created us in his image. (laughs) No. God loves you for one reason. He wants to. And if you can do something to cause him to not, not want to love you anymore, you're stronger than he is. God will not be punked. He, I'm going to love you even when you're doing wrong. I still want to love you. I want to bless you even when you're doing wrong. It says he reigns on the just and the unjust alike. There is nothing you can do to get God to stop loving you. Are we getting this? So he is already positioned to bless you. Now, we got to get this part, though. In order for you to receive the blessing, to receive the benefits of that love, you must show humility and repent. Humility saying, God, I'm wrong. My way of doing life is wrong and your way of doing life is right. He says this in James, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2.
1: Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma.
0: We are called to imitate God. Hey, sometimes faith comes by hearing. Go ahead, put your hand on your chest and say, I am called to imitate God. That's it. That's the bar. You are, did I do it God's way? That's the bar for every situation. Am I doing it God's way? You already got the answer. Before you even open your mouth and need anybody else, God, what's your way? How do I want to, am I going to do this God's way? If I'm not doing it God's God. way, I'm living outside of my calling. Everybody's looking for their purpose. And everybody's looking for their calling. They just want to speed right past the one that's in the scripture. You are called to imitate God. You are called to imitate Christ in everything you do. That is not raising the bar. That's where the bar always has been. We just live so beneath the bar and we get these communities called Christian communities that say, it's okay. Nobody can do it. That's the bar. And look what he said. In Ephesians it says, and walk in love. God is love. How many of y'all know that? God is love. Then what are you? God is love. And you are made in the image of God. You are a daughter of God or son of God. You are called to imitate God. So man, Mona should be love. If anybody should characterize you, they should characterize you by love. Getting this? This is your purpose. This is, they see if I told you your purpose is to have a million dollars, oh yeah, praise God. Your purpose is to be love. When is God not love? Oh man, now so when should you not be love? You know, people, uh, man. I know, I get it, I get it. We'll grow, we'll grow, right? So let's look at what Jesus teaches about ministering forgiveness. Luke 17, one through 10. Let's go Luke 17, one and two first.
1: He said to his disciples, "'It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, "'but woe to him through whom they come. "'It would be better for him if a millstone "'were hung around his neck, "'and he were thrown into the sea, than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble.
0: So what is he saying? Look, it's inevitable. Things are going to come that bother you. Things are going to come that offend you. People are going to do stuff that just tick you off, right? It's going to happen. What he's saying is you don't be the problem. The problem's going to come to you. But you don't be guilty of being the problem. I remember a guy, I don't remember him, there's a guy in the NFL named Aaron Rodgers and he used to play for the Green Bay Packers and he was always known as being a prima donna and always complaining about the leadership so the, the management goes out and they get a new coach and when they bring a the new coach in, before they bring a the new coach to the team, they call Aaron Rodgers in and the owner of the team said, you don't be the problem and that's what God is telling you You don't be the problem. Because you're only held accountable for what you are. But these people around me, you don't be the problem. You don't be the reason that someone else stumbles. Romans 12, 17 through 18.
1: Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men.
0: Here's how you don't be the problem. (laughs) Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one amen I might've got last night (laughs) because our default is payback. Isn't it? Come on. Just be real church, right? Our default. Look, I'm not, I'm, let's be real. You're better off starting off where you really are so we can get you to where you got to be. Payback is your default. Hey, I, I'm not, I don't have the gift of mercy. Every time I take the test, I I grade low in the mercy department. Because my default, my mind starts with payback and I got to work my way to mercy. And maybe I'm just the only person that's wired that way. The rest of y'all are like, oh, we we need a new pastor. So, but... He says, but you gotta do your best not to be offensive. It says, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So they could be talking to you in the nastiest way as long as it depends on you. Be at peace with all people. Yeah, let me help y'all with this. You know, every rude comment doesn't need a response. When Jesus was on the, on trial, they're saying all kind of nasty stuff to Jesus. What'd he do? He didn't say a word. Hmm, you're called to imitate Jesus. See, that's why some of us couldn't be the savior. Because we on try like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. Don't you know, lightning taking, every, I, I was just called, everybody been wiped out. <laughs> Angels kill now. <laughs> right? Ain't nobody getting saved up in here. <laughs> and that's why I'm not the savior. Because, again, he's saying, look, as long as it depends on you, no matter what, when you gave your life to Jesus, you forfeited the right to be you. So you no longer get to handle this situation the way that you would and call yourself a follower of Christ. You have to handle this situation the way that he would. And if he let Jesus get beaten, You don't think he's going to let you go through some hardship? If he let Jesus get get talked about, you don't think they're going to talk about you? And he already gave you a model for how to respond. Keep your mouth shut. Be still and know that he's God. See, Look at this. Look at verse 19. This will really encourage you. 12 and 19.
1: Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord.
0: Don't God seem slow with his vengeance sometimes, though? Like sometimes I feel like I want to help him. I got a plan. Like, God, I know you're busy. Just do a little bit of this and that to him. You know, take out a kneecap, <laughs> heal them, <laughs> make it spiritual. But here's what you got to do, y'all: when somebody wrongs you, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Get a plan of action from Scripture. You can't trust your mind. You can't trust your feelings. Don't. I know we wear a little bracelet. What would Jesus do? What? I would encourage you to do what Jesus did. Don't just say, what would he do? Do what he did. Get a plan of action from the scripture. Until you get a plan of action from the scripture, don't respond. Until you get a plan of action from the scripture, don't respond. But what often happens for too many is we respond with our flesh. And then we want to handle out our own forms of justice and our own form of penalties. Let me show you how we do this on a low level, right? We do it in our homes. We do it with our relationships, right? Husband upset with a wife. What's he going to do next? He's going to give her the penalty of withdrawal. I'm not talking to her. Anybody ever felt that penalty? Anybody ever administered that penalty? Okay. Got any liars? <laughs> it's like when we get offended, we even say it. I'm done with them. I'm defriending them. I'm blocking them. Why? I am giving them the penalty. The penalty. You don't. You don't hurt my feelings. Penalty. You don't disappoint me. Penalty. You don't do it my way. Penalty. Withdrawal. Right. Do you know the problem is that? That is the punishment. We talked about that last week. That's the punishment that's reserved if a Christian, somebody who said they're a Christian, is not acting like a Christian. The scripture says you isolate them so the devil can have it their flesh so they can be saved. We're handing out unjust punishment. This isn't some Christian not acting Christian. They just didn't do what you wanted. But we you come, you told me you'd be here at seven. You didn't get a 715. Mm. <laughs> what's wrong? Hmm, nothing. Now you're lying. Now you invite. Oh, that's the truth, y'all. When somebody says what's wrong, and you know something's wrong, and you say nothing, you just lied. And now you've invited Satan into the relationship. See what we do in our house. We say nothing. I want to talk about right now. (laughs) So understand this: we often are punishing people with withdrawal. And now let me ask you this: you know who you you think you're punishing them, but the isolation, the enemy's now is going to attack you. Because it says, the scripture says, put them in isolation so the devil can have it their flesh. You just put yourself in isolation. Let me help. Do the thoughts get more spiritual when you're in isolation? No. No. Does, does it make things better? No. So we, first we got to understand, y'all. We got to let God handle payback. We can't hand out judgment because we're unjust. We can't hand out the punishment because we're unjust. The punishment is not withdrawal because they hurt your feelings. We doing all right? Look at verse 20,
1: 21. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? Amen. <laughs>
0: We're getting better. <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Is that, 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 I told him last, I would be at the dollar store feeding them. <laughs> no, these two for a dollar. <laughs> it's like, no. Feed them. Bless them. Bless those who persecute you. See, this is real Christianity, y'all. Notice he didn't say, oh, that's all right. You just got a little bit of flesh. He says, man, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And doing so, you will heap coals on his head. Now, listen, that ain't the motive. <laughs> Honestly, I know y'all out there. Heaving some coals on his head. He, you want something else? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> he's not, that's not the motive. That's just the reality. Don't make that the motive because then you'll be really upset when it don't look like nothing happening to him. I've been kind, ain't nothing happened. <laughs> the heaping the coals on the head is not the motive. It's the reality. Are we getting this? But the message we have to overcome, he says, overcome evil with good. Y'all, let me help y'all with this. God did not wait for you to do, God did not wait for you to repent before he was good to you. getting that? God did not wait for you to repent before he was good to you, and now he's telling you to be an imitator of him. You don't have to, man, go ahead and get him a good old gift card. Get him a good gift card from somewhere good. (laughs) Come on, bless him. Hook him up like God would do, and do it for the right motives. Why? What's the right motive? Because God said so. He's not even saying do it because all, oh, you know, because you feel all warm and fuzzy. You want to do it because God said so. Right. Are we getting this? Luke 17, three and four.
1: Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him.
0: If your brother's sins, rebuke him. We said that's the purpose we said last week, to restore him to a place of honor. Show him what they've done wrong. If they repent, forgive them. I think we're okay with that one. But then it says if they sin against you seven times a day, seven times in one day, not even seven times in the week. You're talking about seven times in the same day. And if they come back seven times saying, I repent, you forgive them. Now, here's what we got to understand that's hard in itself. That's why none of this can be done without the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it should sound hard. That means you need God in order, you need God in order to obey God. But notice this portion here that we have to understand the important part of the forgiveness being expressed was the remorse and repentance on the part of the offender. Remember, even in Matthew, the guy said, be patient with me and I'll pay you all. He fell down prostrate. So listen, we have positional forgiveness, but we don't run up to them and say, I forgive you. We let them know what they did wrong. And if they repent, you say, I forgive you. But you've already established it in your heart. Are we getting this? I know some people have been abused. Do not call your abuser and say, I forgive you if they've shown no remorse, if they, they haven't repented. But you just don't carry bitterness the rest of your life. And you got to get that right between you and God, but you don't have to call them up and say, I, I, I forgive you. They haven't repented. Are we getting this? No different than God. People get saved. God's ready to save. People must repent in order to receive that blessing. Are we getting this, y'all? So I, I, I want you to understand that, how important that is. The, the verb thing of I forgive you is valuable. You don't just throw it out there. They need to repent and then you give them that verbal blessing. But you could have already got your heart right before that conversation even happens. Are we clear on that? And if you're confused by that, please talk to me after church or something. All right, Luke 17, 5 and 6, five through, go 5 through 10.
1: The Apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to the small berry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which are commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done.
0: So the disciples here forgive seven. <laughs> if, if, if he forgives sins against you seven times a day, forgive him. And they say, increase our faith. I mean, can't we identify with that? Increase our faith. And that's like, work on us. <laughs> Give us some time to work through this. Work, increase our faith. And I love how Jesus responds with the thing about the mustard seed. He's, what he's saying is, you don't need more faith. You simply need to obey and watch what happens. That's it. That's it. See, sometimes we want to know what's going to happen before we obey. Well, if I obey, if I do this, will you do that? But that's not faith. Just obey and see what happens. Because you can trust the one who made the promise. You don't need to see the end results. That's not faith. Because, see, when we have that mindset, well, God, do this, if you're going to do that, what we're saying is, I need to approve of your action before I obey. I don't think we understand how offensive that is to God. God, unless I know it's a sure thing on the other side that I approve of. That ain't faith. faith. So he's saying, look, like the mustard seed, you just put it in the ground. You don't have to tell it to grow. You don't have to tell it to do anything else. That's faith like a mustard seed, man. it's It's going to do what it's going to do. There is, see, we don't get any pat on the back for being forgivers. I I love listening to Christians because y'all just make me laugh sometimes. And people are like, well, I humbled myself. And I'm like, until now. (laughs) And we think we would get this pat on the back. But no, y'all, forgiveness is your God-given responsibility that God wants you to embrace as your God-given nature. He wants your nature, he wants your default to be forgiveness. When you ever run into a person who defaults forgiveness, you think they're a doormat. Oh, you just let them run over you. You let anybody... No, they're, no. they're not banking on this stuff down here. Amen. They've been crucified with Christ. They're God-given... They just embrace their God-given nature. People probably thought Jesus was a doormat. Right? That's, that's what happened in the garden when those dudes showed up and Peter took the sword, chopped the dude's ear off. Peter was, Now, Peter was ready to die. At that moment, he was ready to die with Jesus. Let's go! Peter gets rebuked. Jesus, like, I can handle my own business. Puts the dude ear back on. So people, people think Peter ran because he was afraid to die. Peter was like, I ain't willing to die for that. I'm willing to die for a Jesus who's about kicking butt and taking names. That's the Jesus we want. Would, we don't want Jesus. Most of us want Barabbas. See, Barabbas' name means son of the father. Barabbas was known as an insurrectionist. He wasn't killing Jews. He was killing Romans. He was a butt kicker. He looked more to them like the Messiah they wanted. So when they held him up, they were like, who do you want? Son of the father or the son of God? They was like, well, this dude at least is kicking butt. That's my God. Give us Barabbas. And that's what we're still saying today. I want Barabbas, give me the son of the father who's kicking butt and getting justice my way because my justice is payback. Not this pacifist dude who says, love your enemies. We doing all right? Must be the pancakes. (laughs) So get this, y'all. Most of the time, people offend us, y'all. It's unintentional. And most of the time we offend other people. It's unintentional. Are we getting this? Sometimes we just, and what I mean by that is it doesn't mean what they did was wrong, wasn't wrong. It means hurting you was not their motive. Two things can be true. Somebody can do something wrong and their motive wasn't to hurt you. Are we getting this? See, sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We think everybody's out to get us. That dude who cut you off on the road, he's out to get you. That waiter is taking too long, ah, they want a bad tip, they're out to get you. Right? No, most of the time it's unintentional. We think, uh, we, we got this world that centers around us and think everybody's out to get us. Now get this now. If somebody does something wrong, often if somebody, people are guilty of selfishness, and guilty of not considering you our selfishness and sin against God has a painful impact on others that is just the fact so let me explain this to you if pastor mark needs some money and he gets the ski mask ski mask out and go robs a bank right summer is going to be hurt by that why because she had expectations her pastor wouldn't be knocking over banks. She will be disappointed. But then if, but the thing we often do is she might take it personal. I can't believe he did that to me. I wasn't thinking about summer. I was trying to get paper. <laughs> but, the, but, but now that's, this, this, oh, and that's what, oh, now I'm church hurt. This dude, I had an issue with God. Nobody's like, man, he must be really messed up in his walk. We need to pray for him. Where, how could he do that to me? Listen, now, understand this. My selfishness and my sin, I should have taken into account my sin against God and how it impacts everybody else. But in that moment, you're not thinking about everybody else. The sin is wrong. But the intention was not to hurt you personally. It doesn't mean you didn't get hurt. Is is this confusing? So we need to understand this, y'all, that expectations met with disappointment will equal offense. But a lot of times it's not an intentional offense. But it still happened. And yes, she would have the expectation that her pastor's not knocking over banks. We getting this? Bring home that, Shannon said, bring home that paper. <laughs> Pray for the girl in the front. She's got pancakes on the brain. Now, understand this. Do your best not to offend someone. And what I mean by that is don't be offended. Don't be offensive for offensive's sake. Well, I'm just going to be who I am. <laughs> That's me. I'm going to be me. No, be Jesus, right? And, and, and the only time it's okay to be offensive is if you're obeying God's word. Trust me, you obey God's word, you will offend enough people. You don't have to go out of your way. So, but, but, but I want to understand this. Just because you don't do what others want doesn't mean you are the problem. Are we getting this? Because some people take blame on themselves for everything. Just because you didn't do what somebody else wanted, it doesn't mean you are the problem. No is an option in your life. Use that no muscle. And if some, look, when somebody puts you on the spot, we need a decision right now, say no. Or oh, you need a decision right now, you'll give me time to think or pray, I'm going to say no. You know why? Because nobody's really offended if you reverse a no. When you give a yes in haste, people get offended if you, if you reverse a yes. Right? So understand, in a healthy relationship, difference of opinions are allowed. And are okay to be expressed in that relationship. Remember, that's how we grow. Arn, sharpen, and arm. Every conversation does not have to have a winner or a loser. If there's a loser after our conversation, if there's a winner and a loser, we both lost. Conflict is healthy. Conflict is how we grow in our relationship. Conflict is not the same as arguing. Conflict would be, you, want, you like the toilet seat up, I like the toilet seat down. That's conflict. You say foyer, I say four, No, I say foyer, my wife says foyer. That's conflict. We do, conflict is how we grow. Are we getting this? We, that's why we have conflict resolution. Conflict is how we grow. And when we have conflict conversations, they're not about yesterday. Conflict conversations are about Tomorrow. What, we can keep going over yesterday for hours. It gets us, no. we need a plan for tomorrow. What are we going to do so this doesn't happen again? Arguments can be so simple if, hey, you did this and you wronged me. I, I, I felt when you did that. Oh, I'm so sorry you felt that way. What do you need for the next time? See how easy that was? Now you got to need Jesus, the Holy Spirit in order to do it. But you know, but that, that's the posture of a servant. I'm here to serve. Sorry, you man. Sorry, Joy, that that happened. What do? What can I do to help you the next time? Not well. I don't know why you could think that, Joy. How could you think that about me? <laughs> Joy didn't ask to think what she thinking. You ever ask somebody? Uh, y'all, I'm, I'm sure you had these conversations. Walk, come on up. I'm sure we had these conversations before. somebody said, "Hey, what you thinking?" And you tell them what you are thinking. They're like, "How could you think that?" <laughs> I didn't ask to think it but you asked what I was thinking. (laughs) How could you think that? (laughs) I just think. (laughs) If you don't want to know what's going on in here. And sometimes you want to save some pain, just keep the thought to yourself. What you thinking? Nothing I want to talk about right now. (laughs) Don't lie. So remember this last thing, y'all. Forgiveness promotes unity. Colossians 3, 12 through 13.
1: So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love love which is the perfect bond of unity. What's
0: the perfect bond of unity? What are we called to be? Come on, y'all, we getting this. Whenever you're in unforgiveness, you're living outside of your calling, outside of your character, outside of your identity. But unity, the bond of, love is the bond of unity, right? You ever notice in your life, you never have to make room for negative thoughts, we never have to make room for negativity. That's our default, right? We never have to make room for thoughts of revenge or payback. We never. I found in my life I need to make room for mercy. And the scripture says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, mercy triumphs over judgment. I have to make room in my life for mercy because I can confess that is not my default. So I have to discipline myself towards merciful thoughts. I have to discipline myself towards loving thoughts. I have to discipline myself towards forgiveness. Are we getting this? That's a discipline. Train your body. Beat your body. Make it your slave. Train it in the way that it should go. And so listen, we're closing out the fast, We're talking about forgiveness. You know what's in there. You need to let God remove some of that stuff so you can make room for mercy. I guarantee you right now, to the fellas, somebody says, man, I'm about to give you a free 85-inch flat screen. You ain't thinking about whether you got space for it or not. You'd be like, oh, give it to me. I'll make room for it. Amen, men, come on, be, let's be honest. Amen, I, right? Somebody drives up, say, hey, we got a brand new um, BMW for you. You go, I ain't got no room in the garage. You're like, oh, we'll make room. We'll put the work in and make room. Well, we got to put the work in and make room for mercy. We got to put the work in and make room for love. Put the room, work in and make room for Jesus. Listen. Communion's available, the altar's open. When we take communion, we're saying, Jesus, I'm taking all of you, not just the pieces I'm comfortable with. I'm taking all of you and I'm giving up all of me. Don't take communion if that's not your mindset. And I don't tell you that because we're short on supplies or anything like that. I tell you that because the Bible says If you take communion in an unworthy manner with the wrong mindset, you can take a curse unto yourself. And I love you too much to have that happen to you. But if you're like, God, I'm taking all of you and I'm giving up all of me. And it's okay to add this in here. Please help me to do this. He will be just and faithful to help you to do that. So lay down whatever you need to lay down and then take communion today. And then we'll go enjoy some pancakes. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon for this week. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Please feel free to subscribe and
1: share our podcast with family and friends. To learn more about New Creation Ministries, please check out our website at www.ncm.life.